0: This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, May 31st of 2018, it's episode 133. In this episode, getting started as a new GM, plus our perfect gaming rooms, sudden gaming group growths, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And uh, yeah, it's an episode. Mm-hmm. Just a regular episode. No guests. No con
1: report. Just an episode.
0: We
2: haven't
1: yep. had one of these for a while.
0: What do we yeah. do again? <sighs> Apparently we talk at each other, uh, I guess. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes on specific subjects, but you know.
0: Whoa. <laughs> Blowing Grant's mind here Yeah, uh, we actually have a pretty big topic tonight We're talking about getting started as a GM And I think that's going to be a pretty uh, pretty interesting and helpful <laughs> conversation mm-hmm. I want to spend just a minute talking very briefly about anything that we have going on That's um, podcast news related, anything like that Any gaming news, whatever Well, we've definitely got some gaming news Yeah, yeah I, I looked up from my notes and all of a sudden I had another player Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this was this was funny because. Yeah, funny.
1: Wow. Great. What? (laughs) I'm prepping what? Yes. Now you have a wizard. Um, (laughs) In addition to the cleric Rogan fighter, we're playing my game, which we'd had to reschedule to Sunday night. And we had a very amusing like moment of role playing. And none of us had video on or anything, but I kind of like to feel like we all just kind of looked at Jenny through the internet and (laughs) were like, why are you not in the Saturday game too?
2: Yeah, for, for a little more context, but not a whole lot. My character decided to put a tooth very gently back into a socket from which it had fallen. Yeah,
1: of a, a dead monster that they were bringing in for
0: bounty, basically. Yeah. yeah. And there was like a some sort of, you know, hey, we, we game on Saturdays. And he's like, I'm free. And all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, I'm sorry, I... I was doing something. Did somebody join my game? <laughs>
1: yeah, we just, <laughs> did we just Shanghai you? I
2: think that got thrown around too. <laughs> yeah, no, y'all, y'all didn't Shanghai me. I am very excited to to be joining the Saturday game.
0: Yeah, I, I may sound angry about it, but I'm actually looking forward to it as well. It was just literally like I'm. Uh, what? Did,
1: <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> it was like you know the yeah. college
0: game where somebody shows up with her buddy. Hey, can you squeeze this guy in? Do you know anything? No, I'm just really high. Okay, fine.
1: Okay, uh, but that's not Jenny. Come on. No, but it's,
0: it was a flashback of like, I'm sorry, did somebody just show up at my table and now they're part of my campaign? What?
2: <laughs> well, to, to no, be honest- I showed up. I showed she, up at Peter's table. Yeah, she showed and up at I'm my table while
1: you were there and yeah, no, now but, she's but part
0: of your game. It was a flashback of that kind of like- yeah. Eight randos show up at your door. We're here for d d night. <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be super awesome. Hooray, finally mm-hmm. a wizard. The fighter's been trying to pull wizard duty, and it's not gone well because he's a much better bard.
1: Mm. <laughs> he really is.
0: It's hilarious. Uh, interestingly,
1: also, we did something I feel like we should discuss a little bit as part of this process, and that was because this game has been running for two years, give or take, There's a lot of built-up character relationship, player thoughts about the various characters, uh, plot, that sort of thing. And it's just—it's a lot to just kind of walk into without any grounding and um, try and just kind of integrate your way into without anybody helping you much. Yeah. Yeah. So— we did the mother of all info dumps. On no, yeah. <laughs> like,
2: And I was, I was really concerned because I, I could hear all of the, the, the Twitter message notifications coming in, and I was in a really hectic raid in Destiny 2 and I couldn't look at my phone, and I'm like, they're gonna think I just dropped them. <laughs> but no, I was, I was super grateful for, for all of the info dumping. Though I do have an idea for a character that I'll discuss with Grant that may. I, I mean, if Grant vetoes it, I'm fine with that. It is a very vetoable character idea, but um, it it would make the whole I'm new thing very easy. And I wouldn't necessarily have to know all the stuff for the character idea I've got.
0: Okay, we'll talk about it later. So, the, yeah, the we'll, we'll talk about it later. The setting has some weird and specific constraints. Mm-hmm. But they're not, they're not hard and fast, no, you can't. It's more like if you make certain character creation decisions, those will have dramatic consequences. Mm. But we'll talk about those later. I'm trying very hard not to put a hard and fast no on anything. Yeah. But there are certain pitfalls due to the nature of the game and the subjects that it is addressing. So, mm-hmm. But that'll be fun because honestly, it's forced me to kind of clarify certain things in my head. You mean I have to explain this to someone? <laughs> better figure out what i'm actually doing a game about yeah <laughs> because we are in a deeply philosophical game that is not at all about beating up on birds and sharks
1: <laughs> i mean it, it's interesting how psychological we did get with so much of that stuff also beating up on frogs yeah and <laughs> seagulls and spiders. must not forget those
2: and banshees there was a banshee that one time right
1: we didn't beat up on that that beat up on us and we ran
2: for it <laughs>
1: We're still planning on going back for a rematch, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) it may just remain Banshee Island with a like seawall built around it. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, Let's let's move on here. Nobody wants to hear uh, gaming stories that they aren't in on. Then let's do our Patreon question, shall we? Sure.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: This one is another one from Sean Stoffer, and I've got to parse it for a second. He sent this long, crazy, genie-laden uh, <laughs> series of questions that were supposed to kind of like all form one narrative, and unfortunately, that's <laughs> just not quite how we do things. Let's just say it, in- it involves genies. But here you go. Tell me of your perfect and ideal game room.
2: Big table, first off. Big table. I, I assume that that we're talking about like... Not necessarily within the bounds of physics. So a pencil holder that regenerates pencils. We n- always need pencils. We're always losing them. So a pencil holder that just regenerates pencils as soon as we need them. And uh, honestly, yeah, that's that's about it. Comfy chairs. Comfy chairs, big table. Pencil holder that regenerates pencils.
1: That's about it. Okay, so if we're going to defy the bonds of physics, that changes things a little bit. I am not.
2: Perfect and ideal. <laughs>
1: I'm going to be stubbornly realist. <laughs> um, so if if I get to defy the laws of physics, this thing's in a pocket dimension. There's teleport pads that lead to the actual physical residences of all the members of my actual gaming group so we can game in person rather than over VoIP because we're spread out over now even more territory. It used to be like <laughs> 1,500 miles. It's got to be over 2,000 at this point. <laughs> The self-regenerating pencil tray is fine, but I think I would much rather have like an extra-dimensional bookshelf that I could reach into and pull any gaming books that I want out of. A table that resizes depending on the number of people that are there. I'll take one of those like digital map projector things. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Lighting that can be adjusted. Um, Speakers for ambient music if need be. But mostly the extra-dimensional like transport pads. That's the important part. It could be a... A coffee table with some folding chairs around it, and that would make it ideal.
2: Can I also add a kettle and a teapot for tea? And can I say that the table is sturdy because we have occasionally played dread, and you need a sturdy table. Yes, you do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no rickety plastic tables for dread. That's for nothing,
0: sure. Nothing kickable.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would you would ideally want a. Table that was made out of a solid piece of concrete that was bolted to the floor yeah. for dread.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Mine is basically a library. A very nice, well appointed uh library smelling of leather and old books, you know, the the multiple stories of bookshelves going up and a high ceiling, well lit. Good table, but also really I'd kind of want two gaming spaces. One with a, a table with comfortable but well-supported chairs that let people kind of lean over the, the table as needed. The uh, Maybe like high bar stool kind of chairs. The other, more like a circle of comfortable seats where everybody had their own little writing desk but not really being forced to gather around a large table. Well-appointed bar, you know, an electric kettle for tea, coffee maker, Various drinks, snacks, that sort of thing. The books, like, you know, it's going to be some gaming books, but also more than that, it's going to be a lot of reference material. Uh, Basically, you know, a very large library of of fascinating knowledge. That's basically what I want. Good acoustics, sound system would be nice, Um, computer would be nice. If you want to get particularly fancy, Uh, since we're doing an ideal gaming room, make the table a acrylic covered TV so that oh, yeah. you can do a map on that and that should do it. Sounds that pretty sounds cool. Awesome. All right. So, Sean, good question. Thank you much. And if you want to get your question on our podcast and you haven't done so already, just support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the game. You just need to back us for a dollar. That's all we ask for. Uh, and by the way, if you are currently a Patreon backer, check our SDG questions table. It's linked on our Patreon page and make sure that you've got one in there. If you don't, send them to us. We'll be happy to add it to the list. Okay, let's do our scripture, and then we have a pretty sizable topic to get into. So let's let's delve into that. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to start us off. Okay. All right. This is Psalm thirty-seven, thirty. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. This is Matthew twenty-three, eleven. The greatest
1: among you will be your servant.
2: And James chapter one, verse twelve. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him.
0: So our topic tonight, as we said at the top of the show, is getting started as a GM. If you have never GM before and you're thinking about it, or if you're getting ready to run your first game and you're getting nervous, good news, this is the episode for you. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, one thing I want to, to start off with, it is not at all necessary to transition from being a player to being a GM. If you're here listening to this episode and you've never played an RPG before, don't worry, you can GM. It helps Mm -hmm. a little to be familiar with table conventions and game conventions and have an established group that you're already comfortable gaming with. All of those things help, but you can stand up right now and say, I'm going to run a game and do awesome. Yep. Yeah, I mean that's that's
1: how probably the first two generations of GMS did it in this hobby because it was so niche that if you wanted to do this, you had to go out and get the books yourself and be
0: the one who started the group, and then that meant you were running. And they had to mm-hmm. parse the original versions of D and D. So, hey, yeah. or
1: Traveler, <laughs> or 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 yeah, Hero System, Twitch, Shudder, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine being that guy? I mean, he's probably got an advanced degree in engineering. No, no, uh, just he- Hero based systems on having.
0: Uh, Hero system is relatively simple. There's just a lot of it. Hero system's fine.
1: Mm, I don't know. With all of the math that you have to do and all the attributes that are dependent on other attributes and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah I suppose. But even then, like, it's not hard math. It, like I said, it's quantity rather than quality. Hmm. But again, we're getting a little off track. Then I apologize. I am fighting a migraine, so I am probably grumpy and, and very task-oriented right now. <laughs> uh, so I apologize. I'm going to be feisty. So yeah, starting off as a GM, whether you've uh, been gaming a lot or not at all, uh, first thing that I think is a very good suggestion uh, that one of us put in, keeping things simple. You don't yeah. need a lot to run your first game.
2: No. The the first D&D games were run with a few dice, maybe some miniatures, and, like, paper and a pencil. There, there weren't fancy character sheets. Nothing about it was terribly fancy. Yeah, they were um, run with
0: other games' rules. Yeah. You don't need a lot. Lots, uh, of, lots of
1: graph paper, actually, back in the old days. Um, yeah, that too. A lot of
0: dungeons and even character sheets were done on graph paper. Yeah, because you had your mapper who was mapping back in the original <laughs> D&D. But, yeah, one of the things that I think is a common trap for, well, GMs, however experienced... There's a lot of like splashy supplementary stuff out there that purports Mm -hmm. to make your game better.
2: Like very fancy dice towers, um, Mm -hmm. really fancy terrain for games. Like I I know that whenever I get into any new hobby, regardless of what it is, I tend to the the stuff that's most findable is the really flashy stuff because people are like, ooh, fancy. And I'm like, oh, is that the base standard? I'm letting you know, it ain't. You don't have to get into all of the really fancy stone painted dice towers. You don't have to get the terrain. You just need all you really need need is the very basic stuff. You need the rules. You need some paper and a pencil most of the time.
0: Yeah. Character sheets help. Like I would say character sheets are a thing you need, but you can print those off.
2: Yeah. And I also I would also say that there is a huge amount of value in letting the individual players make their own character sheets because then they know where all the stuff is. I am endlessly trying to figure out where all of my different stats and skills are on a new character sheet. So if I make it myself, then I know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, And
1: as I've said a number of times on this very podcast, my seventh level cleric that I'm playing in Grant's game is a literal notepad text file. That's it. You know, yeah. it's, I, I didn't use, like, an actual designed character sheet or anything for Lambert. I just threw everything in a, a text file, and that's where it lives.
0: Yeah. And it's worked for me. <laughs> most, most of my GMing notes for this game that I'm running are in a little blue notebook I'm staring at right now that's about uh, three inches by five inches, like index card size. Mm-hmm. Something I can stick in my back pocket, carry yeah, around.
1: Yeah, I, um, I have them
0: all thrown up in Google Drive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I tend to think better with pencil and paper uh, for, for GMing sure. stuff, which is weird. Like, it's just a personal hangup. But the, the point is, like, that's all you need. There are people who sell complex GMing notebooks and GM screens. GM screens are one of the few things I might suggest, but I would also suggest that you not use it as a GM screen. I would suggest using it as a convenient GM quick reference.
2: Yeah, it it makes sure that when you get the GM screen, it has quick reference stuff on the back. Yeah, because a lot of the time they are just fancy pieces of cardboard that you do not need. And if you are concerned with with your players accidentally seeing your notes, use a binder and put that binder upright. And and that's really all you really have to do.
1: I ran a 3.5 game using a literal bookcase full of supplementary material for about a year and a half. It was one of my most successful campaigns ever. I had a GM screen, and I don't think I referenced anything on the back of it one time. It was literally just there so that they could, lo- my players could look at a picture of a dragon while we were playing. <laughs>
0: yeah. That was it. <laughs> if you have yeah. a good reference one, honestly, just lay it out underneath. You just pick your mm-hmm. notebook up, stare at it. Oh, okay, I see, and put it back down. Because I, I like yeah. not having that barrier between me and the other players, but that's me. Um, there are a couple of things that you will get repeated use out of reference books in moderation. I think mm-hmm. there's a tendency sometimes to be like, Well, I need all the monster manuals, all the supplementary books like you don't necessarily need those,
2: especially since so much especially with d and d specifically, so much of that stuff is available online now yeah. in various uh wikis and stuff like that, so you you don't especially need the whole book all the time,
0: yeah and there's so much free content that people make for popular mm-hmm. game systems that, I mean, there's it's nice to have something that feels balanced, but it's not, again, strictly necessary.
1: I do find the, um, this is going to be a little bit of a controversial opinion, I guess, but for D&D especially, I do find mixing a certain amount of third-party material in helps kind of freshen the game a little bit. It takes it mm-hmm. o- off of some of the base assumptions that they kind of have to stick with at Wizards of the Coast to make it appeal to, like, all these different generations of gamers. Yeah. And I think bringing in some stuff that's kind of outside of the the very refined and polished, just kind of Orboros-like lore (laughs) of D&D is is good every
0: once in a while. That's true, but if it's your first game, I'd be very leery of that.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. But I think one other thing that um, I need to mention at this point in the the conversation is a lot of the stuff that we're telling you not to do as a beginning GM is to unload a lot of difficult stuff that you don't need to do strictly to run a game. As you get more experienced as a GM, you may find value... In some of the stuff that we're saying not to mess with your first time around, it's like any but, hobby. The The more experience you have with it, the more you can start getting into the fiddly bits and stuff, but you really should focus
0: on the essentials when you're starting out. Yeah. yeah.
2: Get your sea legs before you climb all the way up to the crow's nest.
0: Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> and like Peter said, it's true of any hobby. I got one of those digital drawing tablets for my birthday. I'm very excited about it. You know where I'm starting right now? I'm Googling how to draw tutorials because I can't draw very well. And Mm -hmm. I got this because I wanted it for doing some coloring stuff and uh, general drawing. It'll help with designing T-shirts if I can learn to draw. It will help drawing battle maps, that sort of thing. But I first need to learn to draw. I'm not out here trying to figure out how to do complex effects and and that sort of thing. I'm like, how do I do basic shapes without looking like an idiot? Fine. Great. The other thing, too, is in like a drawing tablet,
1: it's not like a sheet of paper where you've got one-to-one with instant feedback either. Your feedback is on a different surface than the one that you're working on, so that's probably an adjustment, too. Uh, Yeah, but again, we're getting deep
0: in the weeds on that.
1: Uh, Uh, I think I can bring that around to GMing, actually. You're going to run into this a little bit with, um, to kind of use this as an analogy, with your prep work as a GM, too. You'll you'll do something at home when you're kind of prepping for the game, and then the way that it turns out in the game is going to be different than you envisioned, and that's okay. And I I think that is something else that you really need to keep in mind as you're listening to the rest of this discussion, that if something turns out unexpectedly, that doesn't mean that you failed as a GM. That often means you succeeded. So (laughs) keep that one little piece of info in mind as we go. And you actually brought up an excellent point there by talking
0: about the drawing tablet. Speaking of drawing, though, one thing that might be helpful and I want to stress might is a very basic battle map, either something that you can use like whiteboard markers on and erase, or like some printed battle maps from published adventures. We're talking about published material in a little bit, but that sort of thing where you just have a surface that you can work on and like erase real quick and do something else. I find those are helpful. It's better than trying to like use household items to lay out a, a situation and be like, okay, so everybody remember that these Cheetos are the the trees and you know, it, it's, it gets complicated
1: that yeah. said if you're using one of those and you don't have a bunch of fancy uh fantasy miniatures or sci-fi miniatures or whatever other sort of yeah, who cares? fancy minis you'd want grab some chess pieces and, and some meeples out of the board games and use those yeah yeah seriously literally anything mm-hmm. works great for
2: raid, those raid a raid second hand store for like small kids toys. You do not need the fancy stuff.
0: Exactly. Your players will, you know, if this is like a new gaming group, they'll probably eventually go, ooh, minis. Those are fun. Mini groups do. Yeah, that's great. But they're not necessary to start with. They're a cool upgrade. Again, the point is minimize the amount of things you need to feel stressed about. And And some game systems are
1: explicitly theater of the mind and you're not going to benefit from minis or battle maps anyway. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. At that point, index cards, those help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of players, there's this weird tendency I have noticed in a lot of new GMs to want to hide the fact that this is their first time running a game.
2: I was like that. I was like that with my first game. They only found out after the session and they were like, oh, if we'd known we'd have done this differently. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Like I understand the urge to be like, I don't want people to know that i'm making it up as i go i don't want people to to think that i can be taken advantage of as a new gm we all kind of have that weird reaction right but if you're gaming with people you are familiar with and trust please tell them Mm -hmm. if you say all right this is my first time gming i need help from you guys they're gonna help you unless they're completely awful people in which case, don't game with them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine what it would be like? We're we've all GM'd in our group at this point, but it's like if one of us had never GM'd before, the level of support that the rest of the group would give them—that's what you're actually supposed to get as a new GM, yeah. right? Like, yeah. if if you're on the player side of things, and you know somebody is brand new at this, and especially if you notice their confidence start to slip or something like that. Be reassuring, offer constructive advice do stuff that doesn't put you in like an authority position over them or something. But like just start gently shoving help in their direction Mm -hmm. until they regain their confidence and or their feet and get back into it.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Having an experienced GM in your group is helpful. Mm-hmm. They can sometimes kind of be a sounding board. They can recognize certain signs of stress. They can help you out with plot hooks. They can be the person who knows to follow the plot, that sort of thing. One thing I've noticed though, this is true in our headspace game. Sometimes it's easy for a new GM to take a backseat to a co-GM or experienced GMs and end up not running their own game. Yeah. Our Headspace game is kind of suffering from that right now, where there's a lot of backseat GMing.
2: I will say, though, that the first and only game I've ever run was a convention game, which I know is a, a. Most people would think of that as a pretty big leap. And it kind of would have been had my boyfriend not been in that game. My boyfriend is a very experienced GM. He has been GMing for most of the time that he has been gaming, he's a very good and experienced GM. He and is also I,
1: a very kind soul, which helps a lot. He
2: is. He is also incredibly empathetic. E- even if you can just get somebody who is incredibly empathetic in your game, they are probably going to see when you are stressed. Just just make sure that there is some level of empathy going on. Make mm-hmm. sure that somebody knows your situation and somebody has been in your situation before and knows what not to do.
0: Yeah. I, I don't want to say don't have other GMs in your game or, or anything yeah, like yeah. that. It's just having like a co-GM is not a silver bullet I have discovered. I was more in favor of that until yesterday. Let's just say that.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um, like, like do be assertive in, in what you're doing as well. You can say, Hey buddy, back off. If they are getting too much in, in your GMing space, you, you can't say I wrote this. (laughs) I know what's going on. You Mm. don't necessarily.
0: Yeah. Uh, And likewise, you know, everything we have ever said about handling problem players, that sort of thing. All of those still apply, even if you're a new GM. In fact, (laughs) maybe more so curate your your space and the people you're gaming with maybe a little more heavily as a new GM. I know there's the tendency to be like, well, it's my it's my first time. I don't want to like I don't want to worry about that. You know, I don't want to kick anyone out of like my first game. No, oh, that's the first no, no, thing to no, worry no. about. <laughs> no, yeah. You, you, want, you want to stack the deck
1: as high in your favor as you possibly can. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Published adventures.
0: I know the traditional perspective on this among experienced gamers is to despise and disdain the pre-published adventure. You don't have to. They're fine. Most yeah. of them are fine. Some of them are fine. A few of them are fine. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Um, you can use pre-published adventures,
1: and if that makes you feel more confident, by all means, do it. It is However, so much hang easier. Not necessarily, and this is where I am going. Okay. However, if the idea of trying to run something that somebody else wrote or created makes you break out into a cold sweat like it does with me, by all means, write your own stuff. That said, it's not a bad idea to look through a few better published adventures just to get some idea of kind of how the story can flow or what kind of plot hooks to use and that sort of thing. But the one and only time I tried running any pre-published material, it was with Monty Cook's Tallis setting. I had read that entire book, and that book will set you up for success in a spectacular way. Everything is just, like, massively cross-referenced. There's a fantastic index. There's three ribbon bookmarks bound into that thing. What could possibly go wrong, right? Total crisis of confidence. I didn't make this. I'm going to forget something. The game lasted three sessions, and I killed it. So, by all means... If you want, you know, if it feels like using a pre-published adventure is going to make life easier for you, go for it. If you look at a pre-published adventure and think, I I don't want to try and keep all this straight in my head, then don't.
0: See, I'm thinking of a a module where you're kind of going piece by piece rather than a full-on setting. The, The nice thing about a module like that for a new GM is all the prep work. Is done. Everything is kind of laid out, and you have a very consistent experience. That's <sighs> that's the key thing for me. There's a sort of guarantee that you're going to have a baseline quality in your game. It may not reach the height of inventiveness, but you're going to be just as good, roughly speaking, as everyone else who's run that module. And
1: see, once again, I I see where you're coming from, but I just don't agree. OK, so like the very first adventure path that they put out for Pathfinder when they first started doing that, that the Rise of the Rune Lords thing that's since been collected into a hardcover and, you know, sold that way and is just like super well regarded as this wonderful adventure path and everything. Mm-hmm. I was one of the first Pathfinder subscribers. I have that whole thing sitting up on my shelf over here. I've got a couple of other ones from before um, Money Got Tight and I canceled my subscription to those things. They're neat. They've got lots of good ideas in them and stuff. I would not dream of trying to run one of those things. I'm sure it would fall apart in my hands. Uh Yeah,
2: That said, if you think, like, as Peter said, if you think you can do it, that's great. But I know far more people who do have that sort of analysis paralysis where it's like, I am going to do something wrong. I am going to mess something up in this physical thing that somebody else made. I'm going to mess up somebody else's baby is is the way that I look at it. So, so for me and for Peter, it's not a, a thing that we can do. We have to write our own stuff and that's okay. And it's also okay to look at the... I don't know. I don't remember what the module is called, but there's like a starter module for D&D 5e that I've heard referred to as here there be gerblins more often than not. (laughs) Um, And if you want to start with that, that is fine because it is very, very straightforward. And if you want to just I think of it as and this may be a little condescending. I don't mean it to be. But if you want to ride with all the safety gear first, do it. Yeah, that's fine.
0: And that's that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, that is totally fine. I feel like after a while, good GMs and good groups will get bored of a published module because they'll want something more flexible and better suited to the role-playing experience they want. But for a first-time GM, I think it's a fantastic resource and one that is disdained by too much of the RPG community. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, once again, I'm, I'm not saying that they're bad. It's just if you read one of those things and you get more nervous... You don't have to use it.
0: I, again, you guys are right. If you look at it and go, ooh, no, don't force yourself to do it. The whole point is to be comfortable at the table. Mm-hmm. Don't be like, oh, I, sh- I shouldn't look at one of those. That's not how real GMs do it. No, go for it. Plenty of folks do. Yeah. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about inspiration. Let's say you are making up your own game, your, your own mm-hmm. setting, your own story. There's two pitfalls that I think people fall into. The first one is stealing, obviously, and without any sort of creative contribution of your own. Hey, guys, we're going to play a Halo game. We're all going to play uh, Spartans, and we're just going to run through these these levels that are in the game and go through the plot of Halo 2. You're not really adding uh, anything. There is no yeah. reason to do this as a role-playing game. Just go play Halo 2. It's fun. I enjoy it. But you don't need to reenact that at the table, but slower and in your mind. Okay. And then the other
1: pitfall is being afraid to steal anything ever. Yes. Which, this is a Christian podcast, so some real talk here, okay? The writer of Ecclesiastes said there was nothing new under the sun 2,500 years ago, roughly. And
0: we're all still quoting it incorrectly. Yep. And out of context. (laughs) Because guess what? We all steal ideas, and it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I don't know that it's completely incorrect to say that he said that there was nothing new under the sun. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. I'm saying, like,
0: we all take that quote so horribly out of context. Eh, yeah.
1: But sometimes separating stuff from context is a good way to go as a GM. Sure. And that actually That certainly helps
0: some. It's a useful tool.
1: Yeah. Specifically by separating something from its context here. Let me let me unpack that a little bit. One common mistake that I see with a lot of GMs, new ones and experienced ones, too, Let's say you're running a fantasy game because that's what most people run, especially their first time. So you're sitting down to play D&D and you're like, "Okay, I'm I'm running D&D. It's a fantasy game. It's a Tolkien esque, you know, fantasy world. I need to limit myself to reading, watching and, you know, otherwise consuming, you know, playing video games and stuff in fantasy universes only while I'm doing this. That is a terrible idea. Um, What you should do (laughs) is consume some of that. But also make sure that when you're consuming stuff in other genres, that you pay attention to it with your gamer goggles on. Spy movies and crime thrillers often have plots that
0: translate
1: spectacularly well to fantasy games. And the one that I'm running is basically a Western.
0: There is nothing weirder than history. Oh, yeah. Yes. The game I'm running right now. It's a fantasy game full of weird creatures and dungeons and wyverns and everything else. And it's basically the age of exploration as done in the age of Elizabeth I and uh, James I. It's Jamestown and the, the colonization of South America, but transported into a wildly different world with different motivations, but some of the same stuff is in there because it translates in an interesting way. Whereas if I were just reading fantasy of that genre, I basically just end up doing stuff. Everybody else has already done.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. To dovetail off of this. um, And I know at least two of us have recommended this particular podcast before, but if you're looking to really like grab gameable nuggets from history Dan Carlin's Hardcore History Podcast is awesome. It's just awesome in general. But if you're looking for stuff that's gameable, oh boy.
0: It's excellent. Yes. Uh, shorter segments, of course, can also be found in uh, Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. Yep. Which is, yeah. has a very good uh, shorter and much more gaming-focused history ses- uh, section in many of its episodes, which is great. Mm-hmm. Also less likely to make you just stand there and stare at the wall, too. So, Because well, it, it, yeah. it, it's not seven hours of content in one episode, yeah.
1: No, I mean because they don't get quite as deep into the bleak stuff. Well, that too.
0: But also, it's not seven hours of content you're trying to cram into your brain. It's like a 15-minute segment.
2: I would also recommend, in this case, the Game and Walt Disney podcast. (laughs) Yes. Because that is all about taking a, a piece of media and turning it into game content. Yes. And as somebody who has both been on the podcast and listened to a fair amount of it, you will just learn a whole lot about game mechanics and how games work from that podcast alone
0: Yep. yeah i mean all three of us are in both of those categories <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i should probably have mentioned at the start of the show that uh my wife was on gameable very recently which was great those were two really good episodes too yeah jim and the
1: holograms yeah it was pretty amazing
0: mm-hmm. the thing is it got me thinking of ways to game jim and the holograms in wildly different and wildly quote-unquote inappropriate systems <laughs> like what if this was an unknown armies game? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can see it. We oh got, my. We got Jim on one side and Pizzazz on the other as rival avatars of the rock star trying to attain human, you know, like universal human love, which translates as cosmic power. Yeah. Okay. I got this. This is working out. <laughs> but but that's now I kind of want
1: to play this game.
0: If you were just reading material quote-unquote, for an Unknown Armies game, that would never come up. Yeah. So yeah, don't steal super obviously and make it clear that you just kind of wanted to do a game about your favorite IP without really adding anything to it, but don't feel like you can borrow nothing and everything must be completely original.
1: And also that said, if you do want to do something in your favorite IP, just do an original story. There, If you want to do a game in the Halo universe- That could work very well Yeah. with as much lore has been built up there. That could be an awesome, like, very tense space combat and politics and everything else that goes on in those games. You could make an awesome game. Just don't ape one of the existing
0: ones. It's worth pointing (laughs) out maybe that there's actually a really good example of this built into the Halo franchise. You have, you know, this series of games that follow, uh, you know, the Master Chief It's the story of the Master Chief and Cortana doing super heroic things. And then they jumped ship themselves out of that and had a completely different side story with Halo ODST. Yeah. And it was really a very strong story. It was really good.
1: There's definitely a lot of room in a lot of universes to tell original stories. I mean, Star
0: Wars. And if they had accepted the original constraints of the original story that they had, that would never have happened.
1: Yeah. Don't I do the I same. think just that idea of adjusting the constraints, I think, is such a key thing. Let's say you want to do something in the Harry Potter universe to use another massively well known you know, yeah. franchise
0: and IP. Yeah, government agents hunting suspected wizards. Or
1: wizardly government agents tracking down magical criminals. Yep. Without any kids around. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Other stuff. Collect online resources, like, there's plenty of conversations out there about how to GM and good gaming stories and cool ideas. Uh, Collect those. Tumblr and various different RPG subreddits and forums, the Fear the Boot forum, you know, just to name one of thousands out there. Facebook groups, Twitter people, you know, follow uh, hashtags relevant to your game or like RPG or something like that and just see how people are running games. Goodness knows there are enough actual plays out there, video and oh, audio, happens. for you to get an idea yeah. of how games, quote unquote, should work. Yeah, watch mm-hmm.
1: Matthew Coville's videos. Watch Critical Role. Both yeah. of those are very well produced and very enjoyable to consume.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And Matthew Mercer also did his own specific GM advice series that was quite good.
0: Yeah. Again, your first game is not going to be this wildly well-produced thing with really cool tabletop props if you're watching well-produced videos. That's okay. Just think about how they're constructing stories and how they're handling feedback and questions from the table and, and changes of plans from players, that sort of thing. Look for GMing techniques, not the neat visuals.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and don't be intimidated by critical role. Every single one of those people is a professional voice actor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you want, if you want the best example I can think of of handling the weirdest stuff your players throw at you, listen to the campaign podcast. <laughs> they started with a cool Han Solo-like character whose only major defining character trait, as near as I could tell, was not wearing pants. Okay. <laughs> Like, where I stopped listening, it turned out he was illiterate, like a functionally illiterate character, and was very frustrated because he could read and understand music almost instantly. He was an incredible musician. Cool. None of that was in the game. In the first session, oh. they kidnapped a vorn and threw it in the bathroom. It's a major character now. <laughs> <laughs> There's oh also-
2: there's also a fair amount of, of that that happens in uh, the Adventure Zone, which I've talked about a fair amount, but that is like the epitome of the players going off the rails and the story still continuing and being fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, one other quick cautionary note I need to throw in here. As you are going out to consume like actual plays and stuff like that, be aware that most of them... Almost all of them really are not set up with an audience of children in mind. Yeah. They tend to get
0: mature
2: or immature
1: in ways that are not safe for children. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Like, it's nothing that most of our listeners probably can't handle. But if you know you are particularly sensitive to it or the audience who will be listening with you is sensitive to it or you just don't feel comfortable listening to it for whatever reason, that's fine. Just be aware. There's not a lot of clean ones. We've mentioned City Mm -hmm. on a Hill Gaming before. Go with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in D&D, we know they're a nice, clean Christian podcast. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny and I are actually going to be joining them soon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only reason I'm not is (laughs) I literally don't have time. Otherwise, I'd be super excited. You have all the schedule. I do. It's it's (laughs) very frustrating. One note, though. Talking about handling weird stuff that players throw at you. Don't be afraid to start off simple when you're planning an adventure It's okay to have a somewhat linear story in a familiar setting. You can always expand outward. Your players will naturally throw weird stuff at you. We're going to talk about yes and and no but in a second. You know, use those. Those are tools. Don't be afraid to add to what you have prepared, but don't feel like you need to prepare for every possible contingency your players will throw at you. You cannot... It's fundamentally impossible to do so. And before you prepare anything, be at peace with the fact that you're not going to use it all. Right. Mm -hmm. The only reason I suggest really having any sort of linear story is to make sure that if your players are completely stuck at every step, there is a through line you can drop hints for so that you and their players don't get frustrated together going, well, there's just no way out. I didn't plan for this. As long as there is a general plan of they can go from here to here to here to here, or they this is how they progress the plot out of this particular encounter or adventure or whatever, great. That's all you need. Especially if there's a puzzle or a, a non-combat encounter, have a way they can solve it that is realistic and not a guess-what-the-GM-is-thinking kind of puzzle, because mm-hmm. those are bad.
2: That said, there are those days when all of the players are just like, We know that there's a solution and we know that it's easy. But wow, are we as people all really just not getting it today? Right, And
0: that's what I'm saying. Your players will encounter that at some point, especially as they try and kind of learn what you're trying to do at the table. If you have something prepared where it's like, yeah, this is the way out, you can drop enough hints or eventually just tell them kind of what it is. Yeah, you need to roll this or you need to do this and that'll move it forward. As long as there is a way out, it's fine. You just can't – don't go in assuming that your players will just figure out some way to solve the problem for you. And
1: I hate to break it to you, but this – there is no way to stop that from happening on occasion. Yeah. Yeah. That killed our Shadowrun game. It did. And I would would not say that
0: our player group is particularly dumb or obtuse. No. Chrissy uh, maintains that I made it sound much too scary – I I still kind of argue with that, but it was one of those where like I was not com- clearly I was not communicating to the players. Don't worry, there is a way out of this, and I was not communicating that in how I described the setting yeah. and and described I'm the back scenario. Chrissy up on this one, it it sounded like this is an impenetrable fortress, and if you screw up once, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, it was nothing like that, but I was not actually getting that across to anybody without taking them aside out of game and being guys trust me it's not gonna kill you because then they look back and go but it will sometimes you yeah. got, you just got to have a through line mm-hmm. that's the other
1: thing i guess to take away from this is sometimes a game dies and mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that anything horrible happened or you're a bad gm grant is an awesome gm
0: sometimes it just doesn't work yeah, yeah. I'm really happy with what the GM in our Headspace game is doing. I have more and more decided I don't really like Headspace. That's not a fault of the GM. It's just like the way the GM wants to tell stories and the way our group wants to participate in those stories doesn't seem like a good match for Headspace. Headspace seems fine. And I know other folks in my other group have had really good experiences with it, but they are very different kinds of players. Yeah, I probably wouldn't get a whole lot of
1: enjoyment out of Call of Cthulhu. Right. I don't like a game where the whole point is despair. I want to make
0: the world better. If I can't, I'm just going to get frustrated. Whereas I love it. You know, <laughs> I love Unknown Armies. It's really weird. It's not for everyone. I get that. Yeah. And the thing is, you can run a game and your group will be may just go uh, not for me, thanks." And that's fine. It doesn't necessarily reflect on you as a GM. I'm not going to say that every GM Is blameless in the failure of a game, (laughs) but if it doesn't match with your group, that's not your fault. It's just, let's find something else for this group.
1: Especially if you're doing something obscure or high concept. If you're sitting down to play Don't Rest Your Head, for instance, Mm -hmm. there's a very good chance that nobody in the game, or maybe one person, has actually played Don't Rest Your Head because it is a small indie game. It's a very cool small indie game. But you're all just kind of, heh, see what I'm doing here, rolling the dice together and seeing if it works or not. Yeah. It's a very yeah. weird, high concept game. Mm-hmm. You might all like it. You might all hate it. Half of you might hate it and the other half might love it. You don't know until you try. And yeah. that's not your fault. It's not D&D where there's like generations of people that have extensive experience with this thing that you can, you know, plumb the experience of. Sometimes you just got to try something.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about yes and and no, but we could probably do a whole episode on this. So Mm -hmm. very quickly, you as a GM have the right to take player contributions in. And in fact, you should, you know, if players want to add something and describe something, that's awesome. They say, hey, you know, I go talk to the barkeep who is this kind of guy. Cool. Guess what? Your player did some work for you. Super. Now you also can modify that. You know, if they say, hey, you know, I go talk to the barkeeper who is a, uh, a zombie, you know, mindlessly serving drinks. It's like, well, okay, zombies don't actually fit in my campaign world. Yes. And it uh, turns out he's not a zombie. He's just a really shabby looking dude. Okay. Or no, he's not a zombie, but he's just really out of it and
1: tired yeah, tonight. Yeah. And but, he might as well be. Man,
0: he is <laughs> definitely serving drinks mindlessly. Not a zombie, but something's going on. Mm -hmm. Take that contribution and and find some value in it, feed it back into your game. Uh, But remember that you can filter that through your management of the the setting and what's going on. But don't try very hard not to say, no, you don't do that. Mm -hmm. That feels very frustrating and very bad.
2: Yeah. There are times when you are going to have to do that. If your players have gone completely off the rails that night and they're like, I'm going to build a hot air balloon using this $1 bill. You can, that is a point where you can just, uh, just no.
0: Yeah. At that point nope. it's okay, guys, I don't think you clearly understand what kind of game we're going for here. Let's all yeah. roll this back, but you're not at that point taking yeah. control of the character. You're taking control of like the setting and the table mm-hmm. is kind of how I yeah. would, would think. Yes. Of it. And
2: an, yes. And no, but are more about, not stonewalling your players like completely and totally. Yeah, it's not always. All, it's also not always a literal yes and no. It's really more about building upon ideas introduced to the narrative. There's a really good um, improv artist. A, a lot of improv ideas apply to GMing and just RPGs in general. Uh, this one guy, Jonathan Bryden. He's done a lot of work in the improv scene. He's got a lovely little series on improv theory, and I would highly recommend reading it because it's got all sorts of stuff about yes and and no but and and how to build off of people and how to keep a story going when you don't necessarily have a strict script. Yeah. If you can do this, and you do not you do not have to do this, but if you can, I would actually recommend Improv Lessons. I was uh, given the privilege of having a very theater-oriented town to grow up in, and so all throughout high school, I had a lot of instruction in how improv works. If you can, even just go to an improv show, if you can find one.
1: Heck, just watch some lines of Whose Line Is It Anyway?
2: Yeah, that too. That too. Some episodes just, of that. It's Uh-huh. It, it Just draw draw a lot from improv, because you're going to need it. You are going to need to improvise sometimes, and that's just how it is.
1: Mm-hmm. One, one more thing that I'd like to throw in at this point in the conversation. There have been a number of books that are, are written specifically for GM that are system agnostic, and are basically just out there to help you kind of wrap your mind around some of the best practices of GMing, you know, prep work, managing your campaign, the types of players you'll see at the table, that sort of thing. I'm not going to give you a list right now, but look in our show notes.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, there's a a bunch of those. One helpful tip for new GMs. This is going to sound very specific. I promise it's not. I saw something very funny today pointed out that make a perception check is code for give me a second to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's very true. I also think it's a really bad habit Yeah, because you're basically saying, "Okay, that thing you think you should notice or that thing you think you're doing or whatever. I need a moment to think, but I'm going to distract us all with mechanics and make it conditional on a die roll instead of give me a second to think. Okay, here's what happens. Okay, yeah, this is what, where, why, when, how. Yeah. Maybe if you fail, I won't have to think of anything. I think that's what people are looking for. They're looking for the cop-out failure or the, the, oh, well, if you're doing a thing, clearly you have to earn it somehow. Let me think about it while you roll. If you need a second to to think, please just say, okay, give me a second. Let me think on that. And just like hold a hand up and be like, okay, okay, it happens this way. This is what you see. The perception check cop-out I feel is very distracting and can be a source of frustration. And I Mm -hmm. I say perception check. Here, I really mean any placeholder role, anything that you're doing where you say, okay, I'm going to use the system as a stalling tactic while I think, and maybe as a, a cop out. If you need longer breaks, don't be afraid to say, all right, guys, I need a break to think about this for a sec. Let's all go get drinks. Mm-hmm. Refill the waters. Take a bio break. Whatever. I'm gonna go sit on the toilet and scream into the soundless void while I think about what you guys have done.
2: <laughs> Maybe not scream in the bathroom because the bathroom is the most resonant room in the house. Generally, yeah, I mean but... the
0: echoes are really good at that
1: point, <laughs> crushed by sound waves.
0: Your, yours isn't a literal void that absorbs all screaming. No, we don't have children. No. Oh, okay. That was, there you go. That's not standard in our environment. Fair, fair. But yeah, just take a second to be like, all right, I'm going to get a drink. I'm going to clear my head. (laughs) Step outside real quick. Whatever you got to do, keep it short. And make it clear that you're not mad. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah, that's good too. It's like, okay, I need a second to think about where this is going since we're we're off (laughs) what I had prepared, which is fine. Just give me a second to to figure out how to arrange things. Also, remember that you can rearrange your existing pieces. You don't have to come up with new stuff on the fly most of the time.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. One other thing too, in a lot of these situations... Let's be honest, that unexpected stuff can be a lot of the fun of gaming. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you want to frame what you're saying in such a way where the players don't feel like they've done something bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, even just something as simple as, well, I didn't expect you to do something that cool. Give me a sec. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> that's positive reinforcement, but it still gives you the time you need to think.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think maybe the best thing we can wrap up on, the best bit of advice we can give, is accept that things are going to happen, you're going to make mistakes, things will be challenging, and that's perfectly normal. Mm -hmm. Yep. You just got to do it. You're not going to be perfect. No one's going to sit down at your first game and be like, wow, this is the best game I have ever played and ever will play. You're going to get better. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like any skill, you build it up through repetition. Yeah. So if people are are positive, great. That means you're starting from a a high point. If people have feedback, ask for constructive feedback. Mm -hmm. Don't let it turn into a, you know, a negging session, but accept that there are things that you have probably gotten wrong and can improve on the next time and go from there. I do this all the time in my game and I've been GMing for a while and it helps because it's, I need to know where I'm screwing up. I know I screwed up the last session, frankly, in my game because I didn't really prepare and didn't have anything really ready to go for the
1: players. I think, it would, I think it would be more fair to say that your job screwed up the last session by making you
0: work multiple 16-hour days. Yeah, but, but I, could, okay. I could have done a lot more and should have. But I really didn't have much of a, a fallback plan. And players called me out on that. And that's good because it drove it home. Even It drove home stuff I already knew I didn't have ready to go. That's fine, too. Peter, the last session you ran, again, you're not a a new GM by any means, but like the only feedback I had for you, other than hey, this was a great session because it was a really good session, we had a lot of fun, was maybe call for fewer perception checks.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I have been I have been guilty unconsciously of that. Give me a second to think, so make this die roll.
0: Yeah, and you know, and, and perception checks in particular in D anD D are weird in fifth edition because. Really, should just be using that
1: passive perception score more. And, That's the yeah, thing. A,
0: we have this long standing tradition of perception being a skill, and this goes back into the very earliest roots of the hobby. And it is a skill, but at the same time, with 5th edition, there are ways to just make things flow, and neither of us are good at using that because we were trained differently. <laughs> yes, too yeah. many built up bad habits. <laughs> so. You know, that's something both of us, (laughs) I think, are guilty of. And that's maybe one reason I could I could recognize it and call it out for you was like, oh, yeah, that thing I've been doing. You do it, too. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We came
1: up through a similar era. What a shock that we maybe (laughs) have some of the same institutional issues. And then, like, I know my wife
0: had feedback for you, right? Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Actually, your your wife's okay. so I want to touch on this because this was really good. Chrissy's feedback almost took the form of a request. I'm going to have to set this up a little bit. I apologize. Chrissy is playing a paladin. She's playing a very tanky paladin, actually. Yeah. And so far, we've had three combats in the game. The first one was basically a knife fight in an elevator. It was very, very close. Um, It was against a swarm of enemies. It was just like these super tight, confined combat battle space. The second fight was against a manticore who could hide in a sandstorm while the sandstorm was going on. The third fight was against a mercenary on a motorcycle that rode straight at you guys, and then stuff happened and it went to a foot combat. None of those gave her a chance to do what she envisioned the character doing, which is basically putting herself between the hostiles and the squishies. The first combat, she could do that with some of them, but they swarmed around the sides and she couldn't control the battle space. The second fight, it's a flying creature. You're out in the middle of the open. It can, and it's got a ranged attack. It can hit anybody it wants at any time it wants. And the last one, she was trying to joust with the guy on motorcycles and actually did loop around and hit him once after he'd dismounted due to Jenny's character's actions, but she still wasn't able to do like the interposing thing that the battle was too mobile. And she was like, I'm getting really frustrated. I really wanted to play this character as a tank. I don't feel like I can do that. What do we do about this? Yeah.
0: To be very clear, Mm -hmm. her character concept is really like the MMO tank who taunts and draws aggro.
1: Yeah. 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 And she was pretty explicit about that when we talked about it afterwards. And Mm -hmm. so I I had two thoughts about it. It, The first one was, okay, well, here's some supplemental rule stuff that you might not be aware of that we're going to be using anyways going forward. So take a look at this, this, and this. And, you know, plan ahead for this particular feat when you hit level four, which is the next level. And second, it was like, oh, hey, I need to start running combat so this character can do what she wants to do. You know, it's like yeah. I I was trying to avoid falling into a bunch of kind of the early adventure problem, you know, scenarios. It's like everybody is so tired of rats and wolves and skeletons and stu- and goblins. It's yeah. like, And don't
0: get me I, wrong, I really liked having more unique yeah. starter creatures like that's Mm -hmm. that's great
2: and that's another thing that we talked about in the first session wrap-up thing and we we really do enjoy that yeah but if if it's not letting this one character shine then
1: yeah if i'm basically like totally bypassing one of my four player characters builds that's problem you know Mm -hmm. she needs to be able to do her thing
2: Mm mm-hmm So communication, communication is, is very, very important. Keep communicating with your players and, and don't be afraid to do the GM thing. Just jump in and do it. Just do it. You just (laughs) got to do it sometimes.
0: Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask for that feedback because the first instinct of every player, when you say, all right, game's done, you know, how was it? Like, oh, fine. It was great. Thanks. Every time, every time. Doesn't matter how good the game was. Yeah, it was fine. It was good. Thanks. It was great. Yeah. Now there's
1: that kind of polite, like, I want to be nice to my friend impulse that instantly yeah. kicks in. Yeah.
0: Hey, how you doing? Fine, fine, fine. You know, <laughs> broke my leg today, but doing fine. <laughs>
2: there's, a, there's a theory that we've actually just started discussing in one of my classes about how to recommend books to readers. And basically, when, when you are asking what a person likes, don't say, did you like this and this? Don't ask for just yes and no. Ask for what did you like specifically? Mm-hmm. And then you will probably get better answers beyond, eh, it was good, you know, whatever. It was fun. What about it was fun? What did you enjoy most? What was your favorite moment? Et cetera.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good spot to wrap up. Anybody else got any other advice? I mean, I uh, could again, probably keep just, dragging more up, but yeah. I yeah, think but just
2: just do it. Just, just do it. Yes. We need yeah. more GMs. Just Always. go for it.
1: Yeah. Uh, it. And it really... I think you're both going to back me up on this one. Once you have actually done it a couple of times, it really, really is very rewarding and fun. Mm-hmm. It's not this It's not this horrible chore or something like that. It's I, The reason why my game started is I got the GMing itch so bad that I was like, all right, I'm not going to finish designing this setting before we do this. I have enough <laughs> to start with. <laughs> Who wants to play? Because I can't take this anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's worked out well. So... Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I suspect that our listeners will be prone to providing follow-up advice. So if Mm -hmm. you aren't in our Discord, go to our website, stgcast.org. There's a big link to our Discord over there on the, the sidebar. If you aren't following us on Twitter or Facebook, do that we're saving the game on those platforms. If you are not familiar with our website, we have a blog where all of our episodes are posted, sggcast.org. Look in the the comments for each of these shows. We have a lot of places where listeners can give feedback and follow-up thoughts. If you have questions, our Discord especially, but any of those places is a good place to ask questions and post questions. You know, we'll happily help Share them out. Talk to our community if you have questions. It turns out many of the people who listen to us, they good people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're nice. Yeah, we
1: got a nice we've got a real nice listener base, especially the ones that take the time to pop
0: into the Discord. So Mm -hmm. I think that's gonna wrap it up. So from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nyhalor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless,
2: do good, and happy gaming.